For God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship, coming to you on this 3rd of January, 2020. <laughs> Hallelujah. With the truth of the gospel, the truth, the truth of the gospel. Happy New Year to all of you. God bless you. We hope that your new, that your new year has started out well for you and your family and all those who are in your life's orbit. We come to you this Friday evening, the 3rd of January, which would be uh, would have been my mother's 81st birthday, I do believe, if she was born in 1938, if I'm not mistaken, her 81st birthday, or 82nd birthday, January 3rd. The same day I preached my trial sermon, I preached my trial sermon on January 3rd of 1981, I do believe it was. Yes, January 3rd. So God bless you. We come to you this evening with our weekly message. And we're going to continue to talk about what we started talking about on New Year's Eve. We started talking about Jesus, the great physician who offers us, freely offers us 2020 vision. Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Jesus wants to uh, bless us to be able to see, spiritually speaking. He wants to bless us. He wants to open the eyes. I like what Paul said to the Ephesian Christians. Jesus wants to be able to open the eyes of our understanding. I love that. It's, it's that's the way it's stated in the King James version. Let's see here. King James Bible's right here. In the King James version in Ephesians chapter one, in Paul's opening greeting to the Ephesian Christians, the Christians at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul says. Uh, let's see. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Excuse me, Ephesians. Ephesians 1 and 18 I love that expression, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, Ephesians 1 and 18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word, or we would say today toward us, who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, the same principalities and power, powers and might and dominion who thought that they had gotten rid of Jesus. Those same principalities, powers, might and dominion thought they had gotten rid of Jesus at Calvary's cruel cross. But the Bible says God bodily raised Jesus from the dead and, and set him above, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above, not just above, far above 
all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, because there is an age to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So I love what the King James says, that the Lord has opened the eyes of our understanding. See, before we got saved, before we became disciples of Jesus, before we became committed followers of Jesus, we were blind. We, we had natural sight. Most of us have natural sight, though not all of us. But we had natural sight, but we were blind. We were blinded by sin. We were born in sin. We were blinded by sin. Again, I, I, every time I teach you, I come back to Romans 5 and 12. Well, by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all for all have sinned. So because of the sin that entered into the world through Adam principally, death and sin passed upon all mankind, even upon those who didn't sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. Death and sin passed upon all of us. And so because death and sin passed upon all of us, Jesus came to die for all of us. But as I always use the example, the analogy about the lottery ticket, if you win the lottery, you have to turn the ticket in. If you don't turn the ticket in, it's just a piece of paper with a bunch of numbers on it. And I told you some time ago that millions, billions, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in unclaimed lottery winnings exist every year. Because for some reason, people don't claim their winnings. They die, they lose the ticket, they forget about the ticket. There, there, are, there are a myriad of reasons why people don't claim their lottery winnings. If you don't claim the winnings and you only have 180 days, you don't have, a, you don't have 10 years to claim your winnings, you have 180 days. If you don't claim your lottery winnings in 180 days, you're up that creek without a paddle. You must claim those winnings within 180 days. Well, likewise, salvation is free. It's offered to all. But only those who claim, who say, yes, Lord, you died for me at Calvary's cruel cross. I am a sinner, all defiled. Lord, take my sins and, and wash them away and own me as your child. Only those who do that, according to scripture, Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. So that's, that's, that's the analogy of the lottery ticket. If you don't claim that lottery ticket, the record is Georgia, 2011 as a 70- million plus about 77 million dollar lottery ticket i don't know if it was powerball mega millions i don't know but i'm sure it was one of those two because those are the two biggest lottery games a 77 million dollar lottery ticket was purchased in georgia i don't know where i just know it was in georgia and it was purchased in 2011 the person never claimed the winnings 
But again, you only get 180 days. This is 2020. The ticket was never, the person never stepped, or persons, because people buy lottery tickets in groups, office pools and things like that. The person or persons never stepped forward to claim their winnings. Therefore, they will never benefit from those winnings. Likewise, Jesus died at the cross for all of us. He died for our sins. There's no sin in Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the spotless Lamb. He's the Lamb without a spot or a blemish or any such thing. And he died at the cross for our sins. But only those who take advantage of that will have eternal life with him. So we're going to talk to you for a little while longer about uh, Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just thank you for the privilege of being here, the privilege of mentioning your name, the name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Blessed be your name forever and ever. We glorify you. We praise you. We magnify you. Lord, we pray that as a result of this teaching and teaching and preaching all over the world, we pray that gifts and fruit of the Holy Spirit would be manifested according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. We bless you and we praise you. Again, thank you for allowing us to mention your name. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you for opening the eyes of our understanding that we may know what is the hope of our calling. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we cannot thank you enough. If we had 10 million tongues, we wouldn't be able to thank you enough for saving us and granting us eternal life, granting us an inheritance with your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen. All right, so we're talking about Jesus, the great physician. Who freely offers us 2020 vision. Let's look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Very powerful passage here that ties in, that, that directly ties into what we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things, the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if, now here's the here's the crux of what I want to, want you to hear here and see. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled or hidden. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Did you hear that? Paul says if our gospel is hid, it's not because we're not preaching it. It's not because there's not a manifestation of the gospel. It's not because God has not 
sent us out. The very word apostle means one who is sent, a special, especially called missionary, one who is sent, who, who, whose ministry is normally accompanied by signs and wonders and divers miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to God's will. So Paul says there's no problem with our ministry. He says if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The King James says those who are lost. This is the new King James that I'm reading. But the King James says if our gospel is hid, it is hid to those who are lost. In, whom, in whose case the God of this world, lowercase g-o-d, that would be Satan, that would be the devil, in whom the God of in whose case the God of this world he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving did you hear that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving remember Jesus is the great physician who freely wants to offer us 2020 vision but again I go back to the lottery analogy if you have that lottery ticket and it's worth $77 million and you don't do anything with it or you lose it or, or it's in your suit pocket and you die and they bury you in that suit without taking the ticket out of it, that, that ticket is going to go into the ground with you and it's going to be of no good to anybody. Paul says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan does not want you to get saved. That's the nutshell. Satan does not want you to get saved. He wants you to remain in ignorance and darkness because he knows the only way you can have eternal life is by trusting in Christ. The only way you can have eternal life is by believing the gospel. Let me read it to you again this time. I just read it to you from the New King James. This time I'm going to read it to you from the King James. I like the I like the wording of, I guess because the King James was the first Bible that I ever read when I got saved, I cut my teeth on King James, not saying it's the only Bible we should read, but I cut my teeth on King James. So let me read to you from the King James, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world lowercase g-o-d satan the devil in whom the god of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not satan is counting on your unbelief satan is counting on your unbelief he's banking on it he's 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 invested his entire kingdom because he does have a kingdom he's invested his entire kingdom on your unbelief Satan is betting on you as though you were in, as though it was a Las Vegas wager. Satan is betting on you that you will continue in unbelief and that you will die in that unbelief because if you die in that unbelief, you will die in your sins, as Jesus said. Jesus is the great physician who comes to offer us 2020 vision, to freely offer us 2020 vision because he already paid the price at the cross. And God bodily, physically raised him from the dead. Jesus is the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Satan, uh, his, um, the enemy of your soul, the enemy of my soul, he's banking on your ignorance. 
He's banking on you choosing another religion, a religion that does not honor Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Satan is banking on it. I told you some weeks ago, Satan doesn't mind you having religion. He just doesn't want you to have true righteousness. He doesn't mind you having religion. He'll, he'll help you shop for one. He'll, he'll take you to the religious uh, um, um, supermarket and help you shop for a religion. He just doesn't want you to have true righteousness, which is uh, through the blood of, of Jesus Christ, God's dear son. Satan doesn't mind you have religion. He wants you to have religion. He wants you to, you know, have a form of godliness. He wants you to, as long as you deny the power thereof, he wants you to have a form of godliness. So you can be deceived and you can deceive others, just as his false apostles, his false teachers do. They deceive others and they themselves are deceived. Satan is banking on it. I'm telling you, he's banking on it. He's, 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 he's putting all his chips in the middle of the table. And I'm not even a poker player, but I've seen where poker players put all the chips in the middle of the table and wager. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. You hear that? Satan has blinded the minds of them which believe not. He's blinded them. Lest the Jew and Gentile, it was the blind Jews who turned Jesus over to the blind Romans, and the blind Romans crucified Jesus because the blind Jews had turned Jesus over to the blind Romans. There were many Jews who, wanted, who accepted Jesus, and there were many more who wanted to accept him, but they were afraid. They were intimidated. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Satan is counting on your unbelief. Lest the light, listen to this, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the visible manifestation of the invisible God. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice what Paul says next in the fifth verse. For we preach not ourselves, you see that, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Satan doesn't mind a preacher preaching himself or herself or another gospel. Satan, he counts on it. He wants you to preach yourself. He wants you to preach another gospel. He wants you to preach someone besides Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, he's counting on it. He's banking on it. Paul says, though, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Jesus is the subject and the object, Paul said, of our preaching. Jesus is the subject and the object of our preaching. The Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You can take that to mean Jesus is the subject of biblical prophecy, and he's the object of, of, of biblical prophecy. You can, you can take it either way. He's the subject of biblical prophecy. He's the object of biblical prophecy. Jesus is the main subject of the Bible. He's the subject of biblical prophecy. He's the object of biblical prophecy. The testimony of Jesus, whether, it be coming, whether, it come, whether it's coming from him or his holy apostles, 
and he's the subject of the prophecy or whether he's the object of the prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 19 and 10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Hallelujah. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not. Did you hear that? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan knows if that glorious gospel gets into your spirit, into your heart, and you, you accept that light, you'll be saved. He said, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. We preach Jesus, Paul said. We preach Jesus, his, his, his virgin birth, his incarnation. We preach that, uh, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. We preach that he grew up and in favor of men and God, and that he began his ministry at age 30, and that three or thereabout years later, he voluntarily allowed himself to be turned over by envious Jews to treacherous Romans. The Romans tried him under their system of law. Pilate wanted to let him go. The Jews intimidated Pilate. They said, if you let this man go, you're not a friend of Caesar. For whoever makes himself a king is an enemy of Caesar. And of course, Pilate knew he couldn't, he, he couldn't have it get out that, that he was um, a friend, an enemy of Caesar. <laughs> that, 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 that wouldn't have ended well for him. So the, the, so the Jews, the envious Jews, the blinded Jews, they, they, they intimidated Pilate. We know it was all in God's hands. We know that it was foreordained from the foundation of the world. And that God knew it would happen. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself and I take it again. I have received this commandment from my father. So we know that, that God's sovereign hand was in all of it. But the blind turned Jesus over to the blind. And they crucified him. Again, Pilate wanted to let him go. You have a custom at the feast that I should release one unto you. Do you want Jesus, the king of the Jews? Or this guy named Barabbas. And the Bible says, now Barabbas was a murderer. Now, I want you to think about that. Jesus, the prince of life. Jesus, the giver, as opposed to Barabbas, a murderer. One who was guilty of sedition against the Roman government. Barabbas was a taker. Because murderers are takers. They take people's lives. Mur murderers destroy families. Because when you, you kill somebody in a family, the whole family is affected. Both the family of the person murdered and the family of the murderer. So Barabbas was a taker. Jesus is a giver. And the people said, give us Barabbas. Pilate said, but what about Jesus? What about your king? They said, we have no king but Caesar. They were, they were so determined to turn Jesus over that they... That, that they declared themselves willing subjects of the Romans whom they knew they hated. They hated being under Rome. They hated being under the tyranny of Rome. But they said, we have no king but Caesar. They were saying, we'd rather have this tyrannical Roman king who didn't even believe in our God. We'd rather have him believe, uh, rule over us than our promised Messiah, he who had been promised by the prophets from so long ago.
And so, of course, we know Jesus was turned over uh, to, be cru to be flogged, to be crucified. He was crucified between two thieves. He was hung between heaven and earth as though he were fit for neither. He was taken down from the cross and put in Joseph of Arimathea's new tomb, a tomb that no man had ever laid in. He was put in that tomb, and he stayed there until early Sunday morning. The Bible says when Mary Magdalene came to anoint his body, that he met her. She was the first one to witness his resurrection. She was the first witness. The Bible says in Mark 16 that Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Glory to the Lamb of God. This woman had been fully possessed by Satan. He had full control of her life. Jesus first appeared to her after his bodily resurrection. Glory to the Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb of God. Certainly this woman who had been tormented all her life, and she's the first, not the apostles, right? A woman named Mary of Magdala was the first to witness the bodily resurrection of Jesus. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Paul is going back to Genesis here, right? Genesis 1 and 1. Genesis 1 and 2, etc. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. Paul is, is, is using an analogy here. The same God who said, let there be light in the midst of darkness and chaos. The same God spoke to us when there was darkness and chaos in our lives. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, he hath shined in our hearts. If you're born again, if you're saved, it's because God commanded that same light, that the Shekinah glory. He commanded that same light where he said, let there be light, and there was light. See, God, God speaks things into existence. God calls those things that are not as though they were. Only God can do that. We can't do that. I know there are some people who are saying, honey, you need to call those things that are not as though they were. The Bible doesn't give us the authority to do that. Only God can do that hate to burst the bubble of some. God, who, command, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, listen to this, in the face of Jesus Christ, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. The world is blind. The world is blind. The world is walking, the world is tragically going headed to the abyss of eternal damnation and destruction. Only a remnant will be saved, and you can be part of that remnant if you're not already. The world is blind. The world would rather have a murderer a false messiah, a false prophet, than Jesus, the prophet from Galilee. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God.
Jesus is that great physician who offers us eternal life. He offers us 2020 vision. I was once blind. If you're, if you're saved, you were once blind. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Glory to the Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb of God. Let me read it to you one more time. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded. You hear that? Has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Satan has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Believe. He's telling you, don't believe that. Don't believe that gospel. Don't believe that. That's the white man's Bible that he's telling a lot of Africans and African Americans. Don't believe that. That's the white man's Bible. The white man is trying to run the okie doke on you. He's telling you, don't believe that because God is going to restrict you. God is going to take away all your fun and all your toys. Don't believe that. You're not going to surely die. He's telling us the same thing. He's telling you, actually. He, he, I've, I've been delivered from that lie. But he's telling the world that... Uh, he's telling the world the same thing he told Eve. Remember, he said to Eve, you're not going to die. Even though God had said that if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. And then, and then the devil came and directly contradicted God. Oh, you're not going to die. For God does know that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you shall be like God's knowing good and evil. God didn't say that. That's what he's saying today. God didn't say that. Don't that, that book is just a bunch of myths and fairy tales. It's the white man, you know, this and that, this, that, and the third. God didn't say that. You can do what you want to do. You can live any life you want to live. Satan is telling the same lie today that he told in the Garden of Eden. Same lie. New level, same devil. <laughs> he, he hasn't changed his story. He has not changed his story. Listen to the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read the whole parable, but there's one point that I want to make to you. Jesus began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell, fell beside the road. There were, four, there were four seeds that were planted. The first seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. That's the one I want to talk about tonight. I'm not, I'm not going to get into the other three, not tonight. Let me read it to you again. Listen to this. Behold, the sower, one who sows, one who plants. The sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate it up. Now, as soon as he was alone, he, he, gave, he gave the example of four seeds being planted. But I only wanted to talk about the first one. So I'm going to, go down, I'm going to, I'm going to jump down to verse 10. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, 
began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may not see and not perceive. And while hearing they may not, they may, I'm sorry, while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. That's called judicial blindness. When God puts blindness upon people because he has given them a chance to obey him and they have refused to do so. But that's not even the main point that I wanted to make. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all parables? Then he's going he's gonna to explain the parable. But I'm only concerned tonight about the first seed because it ties into what we're saying about how Satan comes to blind people. He says the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, listen to this, this very carefully. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Did you hear that? Let me read it to you again. These are the ones who are beside the road, Mark 4, 15. Where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes. Did you hear that? See, we think Satan is on, I remember a preacher used to say all the time, we think Satan is on a can of potash. Now, I don't know what potash is, but he used to always say, that we think Satan is just on a can of potash. We think Satan is some imp-looking being with a, a pitchfork and a long pointy tail. No. Satan is a malignant, a dastardly individual, entity. He at one time had been Lucifer. Uh, he at one time had been in, in, in God's favor, but he got a bad case of the big head and he was cast out of heaven. Even though there is some question, there is a great possibility he still has access to heaven, but heaven is no longer his home. But he still has access to heaven. And we see it in the book of Job, and then we see a, a more modern example where Satan asked uh, for Peter. Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat. So that gives us a good reason to believe that Satan still has access to God's throne. But even that access will end uh, one day. We don't know when, but it will end when Satan and uh, a third of the angels who have been cast out of the heaven, out of heaven into the heavenly realm, into the atmosphere, when they will be permanently barred from heaven and will be cast to earth. And that's where you get all the what, what occurs in the revelation about the Antichrist, etc. But but notice again, I'm going to read that from the King James Version in Mark 4.15. Jesus talking about that first seed. He said, these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, meaning the word is sown. The gospel is preached. So the fault is not with the preacher here. The fault is not with the gospel. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians, our, our lead off scripture. He says, if our gospel is hid, it's hid to those who are lost. In whom the God of this world, lower, lowercase g-o-d, in whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who believe not. Lest the glorious light 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. See, Satan doesn't want the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus to shine unto people because he knows that's how people get saved and that's how people get delivered from his, uh, from his uh, lordship. The Bible, I can show you the scripture in uh, 2 Timothy 2, where it talks about how Satan has taken people captive to do his will. I can show you the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, You God has made alive. You were once dead in trespasses and sins. At one time you walked according to the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Talking about Satan. The spirit who even now works in the lives of the children of disobedience. So Satan is in control of people, of multitudes, of millions and literally billions of people. The only ones he does not control would be those who trusted in Christ and who are following Jesus faithfully. So Mark 4.15 in the King James says, These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. Again, the problem is not with the message. The problem is not with the preacher of the message. The problem here is, is with the is, is the recipient of the message. Let me say that again. It's very important that you get this. The problem is not with the message. In this case, the problem is not with the messenger. The problem is how the person who hears the message receives it. This is the parable of the sower. I'm only talking about the first seed. Those are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but, but when they have heard, listen carefully, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, how could, how could Satan take away the word that's sown in somebody's heart? There's only one possible answer to that. If the person is a careless hearer. If I'm careless with something, someone can take it away from me. If I'm careless, if I'm not watchful, if I leave my cell phone or my iPad out, and somebody can steal it. If I leave my house key or my car key, uh, somebody can... Carelessness gives others the opportunity to rob us. So Jesus said right here, the sower sows the word. These are they by the wayside. Remember he talked about the birds. He said the birds of the air come and eat the seed. He says, and then he explains the parable. He says, these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. The word is planted. There's no fault with the word, with the message. There's no fault with the messenger. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately. He comes immediately. He doesn't lollygag. Satan doesn't wait around and, and, and see what, you know, what, what you know. the Bible said he comes immediately. He comes immediately. Because he knows if that word has a chance to germinate in your heart, if that word has a place to be embedded in your heart, that the, that, that the eyes, as I read you in Ephesians 118 a little while ago, the eyes of your understanding are going to be enlightened. And you're going to get the revelation, the glorious revelation of God in Christ. And that's, the, that's what Satan does not want. Again, as I said earlier, Satan doesn't mind you having religion. He wants you to have religion. I told you some time ago, Satan, Satan, will, help you to, Satan will help you to shop for religion. He'll take you out and help you shop 
long as that religion does not point to Jesus Christ as God's righteousness. As long as that religion does not point to Jesus Christ as God's righteousness. As long as that religion does not glorify Jesus Christ, God's dear son, Satan. Satan doesn't care about you having religion. He wants you to. He wants you to, he wants you to have a form of godliness. As long as you deny the power, he doesn't mind you having a form of godliness. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word. Listen to this, that was sown in their hearts. The only way he can do that is if there's a careless hearer. The only way he can do that is if you're hearing the gospel, you being someone. If you're hearing the gospel and the gospel is being faithfully preached and you're being careless about it, just like, oh yeah, whatever. You got a lot of whatever people in churches. We're like, whatever, I'm here, you know, but whatever. And they're being careless. And Satan is banking on that carelessness. And he comes and snatches the word. Because remember now, what did our Lord Jesus say about Satan? What, 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 are, his, what are the three pillars of his personality? The thief, thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And how does he do that? He comes by snatching that word, because he knows that word is a seed. Just like the Lord planted a seed within Mary, and Mary became pregnant, and Jesus was the result of her pregnancy. Take that same principle where God's word is able to uh, impregnate us spiritually. And then if the word is ever able to impregnate us spiritually, what happens? Jesus Christ will be formed within us, spiritually speaking, just as he was literally formed within Mary. Let me say that one more time. Just as God, because remember, Jesus wasn't born because of the sexual union of man and woman. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was born miraculously. He wasn't born in sin. He wasn't born because of, by the will of man, of, of the blood of man. He was born of the Virgin Mary. God impregnated the Virgin Mary. And Jesus was the nine month later result of that pregnancy. Now take that same literal truth and apply it to our lives spiritually. If the word of God gets into us, remember in order, in order for a, a child to be born, what has to happen? There has to be a union of sperm and egg, and then that egg has to be implanted. Uh, it has to drop off from the fallopian tubes into the uterus and all that, and that, but it has to be implanted. It can't be sloughed off. It has to be implanted, and then it grows. And then around nine months later, a child is born. Well, the word of God, if it's implanted in us, and, and we don't allow Satan to, as it says in Mark 4, 15, we don't allow Satan to snatch the word from our heart. What happens? Eventually, Jesus Christ will be formed within us. Not literally speaking, like with Mary, but spiritually speaking. Jesus Christ will be, will be made into the image of Jesus Christ. He'll be Christ, 
I believe Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But yet not I, but Jesus Christ who lives within me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Jesus, of course, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, the great physician. Hallelujah. Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Again, I'm going to read it one more time, then I'm going to close. Jesus said, the sower sows the word. He said, these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. So there's no fault in the word. There's no fault in the messenger. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately. The only way he could, the only way, there's only one way he could accomplish this. If there's a careless hearer. If I'm driving down the highway. And there's a sign that says. Uh, sharp objects in the road ahead. And I'm careless. I'm a careless hearer. I'm a, I, I care. I just say it about the sign. Ah, whatever. And then I keep driving, I could be in danger. I could end up with flat tires or whatever. Or you've been driving in Tennessee or other mountainous areas, Georgia, other Mount Colorado, California, other mountainous areas, the Carolinas. And you'll see signs that says falling rocks ahead, right? Because of, uh, of the mountains, etc. If you're careless, you could end up being killed or injured because you didn't, or deer, deer, you know, deer ahead. You, you'll see the sign with the deer. And if you're careless and you're not careful, you could end up hitting a deer and killing the deer or injuring or killing yourself or someone else. Carelessness is my point. Carelessness is what allows Satan to take the word from so many people because they're careless hearers. They'll pay closer attention to the things of this world, the politics of this world, the music of this world, than they will to the, the gospel. Now, we know that not all people are preaching the gospel faithfully. We know that there are many people who are not faithful in preaching Jesus Christ, etc. We know that. But in this case, there was no fault with the, the messenger. Because in, in, actually, the messenger in this case is Jesus. The sower sows the word. Because he said in, the, in that same parable in, in another gospel, I think it was Matthew, he said the sower is the son of man. If you look at Matthew's gospel, I'm reading to you from Mark's gospel. If you look at Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel, he says the sower is the son of man. So there's no fault in the, in the person giving the message. And there's no fault in the message itself. In this case, the fault, in this case, the fault, it's in Matthew 13 and Luke 8. Matthew 13 and Luke 8. In this case, the fault is in the hearer. Matthew 13, 3. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. To sow means to plant, of course. 
And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls or birds of the air came and devoured them up. Then he gave three more examples that I won't go into tonight. Then his disciples, when they got Jesus by himself, they said, explain the parable of the sower to us. And then he says in verse 19, this is Matthew, not Mark. He says in Matthew 13, 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But the person who doesn't understand it doesn't understand it because the person is a careless hearer. And then Satan takes advantage of the fact that the person, see, Satan is always looking to take advantage of us. He's like a serpent. He's a snake. He took advantage of Eve and Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He, he, Adam sinned willfully. Eve was deceived. Satan is a serpent. He's a, he's a snake. He's, he takes advantage of us. The Bible says he's subtle. He comes, he comes like a roaring lion, but he also comes subtly like a snake. And he comes to deceive. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I come to give you life and that more abundantly, but you have to accept. Jesus wants to give us 20-20 vision, but you have to accept the offer. If you don't accept the offer, the offer means nothing. Jesus, the great physician, who freely, and I'll underline that word, freely offers us 2020 vision. Jesus, the great physician, who freely offers us 2020 vision. I pray that you've trusted in Christ for your eternal salvation, because your salvation is eternal. Once you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, your, your, your salvation is eternal. No one can take it from you. And God will never take it from you. The Bible says when you trust in Christ, the Bible says you are sealed until the day of redemption, until the day Jesus comes back for us, for the church. You're sealed. You're hermetically sealed. No one can break the seal. No devil, no angel, no preacher, no pope, no prelate, no bishop, no pastor, no deacon. No one can break the seal. You're sealed because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're not sealed by a preacher, a denomination. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you're sealed until the day of redemption. So your salvation is eternal. God would never take his salvation from you. Your salvation is eternal if you've trusted in Christ. Remember, we were once blind. I was once blind. I was blinded by sin. But one day... God opened the eyes of my understanding. That's the Ephesians 1.18 passage. God opened the eyes of my understanding. Now I, I understand that Jesus is the son of the living God. I understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that nobody, and that means nobody, can come to the Father except by him. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. I wouldn't have the nerve to say something like that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father 
except by me. Do you know him? Don't fool me now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because eternity, your eternal, your eternal uh, destination rests on whether you know Jesus. If you know him, I mean really know him. If you really know him, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life. If you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, John 3 and 36 says the wrath of God abides over you like the sword of Damocles. Won't you trust him? Won't you trust him? He died at Calvary's cruel cross for your sins. He hung between heaven and earth as though he were fit for neither. He hung between two thieves. He was numbered with the transgressors, Isaiah said. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the price that had to be paid so that we could have peace with God was placed upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed from the ravages of sin. Have you trusted him? I pray that you have. God bless you, my beloved. I'm going to come to you again Sunday morning at 10 a.m. If you're not already obligated somewhere else, I'm going to come to you again Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I'm going to continue talking about Jesus, the great physician, who freely, underline that word, <laughs> who freely offers us 2020 vision. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that I spoke uh, words of truth, Concerning your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I pray that, Lord, the people who heard will uh, not carelessly hear the word so that Satan would not be able to snatch the word off their hearts. I pray that they would take your word and uh, apply the word to their lives. I pray that you will bless them in every way possible. Bless them and their families, Lord. Bless everyone in their life's orbit. I pray that you'll touch them, especially spiritually, Lord. Give them a hunger for your word and for your righteousness. Fill them with the Holy Spirit, God, every day. Bless them in their life circumstances. Bless their finances, Lord. Bless their relationships. Bless their families. Forgive us for our sins, Lord, for we certainly have sinned against you. Wash us, oh, by the blood of your dear son, Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed at Calvary's cruel cross. Blessed be your name forever. Amen, amen, and amen, Lord. We, we, we pray that this teaching and teaching and preaching all over the world will manifest fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. We thank you for allowing us to mention your blessed name, the name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, my beloved. I'm going to come to you again Sunday morning at 10 a.m. again. If you're not already obligated to another ministry, etc., we'll be here. We'll be back at 10 a.m. with the truth of the gospel. We're going to continue, Lord willing, to talk about Jesus. Hallelujah. The great physician who freely, underline that word freely, who freely offers us 2020 vision. Amen. God bless you. You've been praying for me. I ask you to pray for me. I haven't asked you for money. I only ask that you pray for me. Bathe me in prayer. Pray for me. 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 God bless you, my beloved. We'll see you, Lord willing, Sunday morning. Amen. Well, God bless you. God bless you, my beloved.
This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. of Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship, coming to you this Sunday, the 5th of January of 2020, 2020, 2020. Coming to you with our weekly program, the Sunday installment, I should say, of our weekly program, The Truth of the Gospel. The Truth of the Gospel. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the truth of the gospel, the truth concerning Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior, our only wise God and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Blessed be his name forever. We thank him for opening the eyes of our understanding. We thank him for calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're going to continue our lesson today about um, Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He did so purely by his grace, by his mercy. It wasn't by anything, that, any merit that we had. Purely by grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We bless him, we praise him for saving us, washing our sins away by the blood of Jesus Christ, his dear son. Jesus went to Calvary's cruel cross for our sins. He was hung between heaven and earth as though he were fit for neither. He was numbered with the transgressors. He made intercession for the transgressors. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the price that had to be paid for our peace was his chastisement, was placed upon him. And by those stripes, the, by those very stripes that were inflicted upon him, we are healed from the ravages and the penalty of sin. We're healed from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and we shall be one day removed from the very presence of sin. Let me say that to you. That's a message I hope to preach one day, teach one day. The power, the penalty, and the presence. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. We've been delivered from the power of sin. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin. Hallelujah. And we shall one day be delivered from the very presence of sin. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to mention your blessed name. The name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we invite we welcome all, the, all of you online who are listening to us by Facebook Live and by Anchor, our Anchor podcast. We glorify and we praise the Lord. We thank you for your support. We ask that you continue to bathe us in prayer. Bathe us in prayer that we may do the good, acceptable, and perfect will of the Lord. So again, we're going to continue the lesson that we started on New Year's Eve. We started talking about Jesus, the great physician physician, excuse me, Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. So we were all born in sin. We were all born blind, even though we could, most of us could literally see we were all born blind to sin because, and again, I go back to this Romans 5 and 12. You hear me quote that scripture, probably every message that I give. Wherefore, by one man, meaning Adam, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death 
because of sin and, and death passed upon all men for all have sinned. That's Romans 5 and 12. So even, even those who are nice people, even those from nice families, even those who don't bother anybody, even those who don't commit adultery and don't steal from their employer or their employees, uh, even those who outwardly have um, look righteous, we were all born in sin. And so that, that, that stain of sin, that blindness that is upon mankind can only be removed by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus himself said in John chapter 8, If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But he said, you have to have that relationship with me if you continue in my word. You can't continue in his word if you don't get into his word. And you can't get into his word and, and understand what his word is saying unless you first establish that initial relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because only the Lord, only the Holy Spirit can open the eyes of our understanding. You can read the Bible every day for the rest of your life and not understand it because it is a spiritual book. You can only understand the Bible if the Holy Spirit opens the the Bible says that in Ephesians 1 and 18, the eyes of our understanding. You, you, can, you can read a social studies book. You can read a chemistry book. You can read a math book. You can read a foreign language book, etc., and understand the, the uh, concepts. But you cannot understand the Bible because the Bible is God's word. You cannot understand the Bible unless the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your understanding. This is so. I remember when I first got saved in uh, March 20th. I said March, didn't I? That's my daughter's birthday. May 20th, 1979. I got saved on May 20th, 1979. But I didn't begin to understand God's word until sometime after that. The Lord had to lift a, like a veil from my eyes, even though I was saved. And even though I was reading God's word, I started reading God's word shortly before I got saved, before I made that decision for Christ. I remember reading an old King James Bible and, and uh, marking it, highlighting it in yellow. I no longer have that Bible. I gave it to one of my sisters who, who eventually gave her life to Jesus. But I remember reading the word of God, but, but until the Lord lifted the veil, and open the eyes of my understanding. I love that. I love that term, the eyes of your understanding. That, that's in Ephesians 1.18. Until the Lord opens the eyes of your understanding, you can't understand his word. You can't because it's a spiritual matter. You can't. You can't. You cannot. You can read it. And you can, sure, you can understand a, a common thing that might say, that might say something that's common to all people. But you can't understand the spiritual teachings, the spiritual concepts of, of the Word of God unless the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our understanding, which He wants to do. The Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant, just like you don't want your children to be ignorant. You want your children to be well-informed about things. Well, we are His children. Didn't the Bible say we are the sheep of His pasture? He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants to shepherd us. He wants to lead us and guide us, right? Even if we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Hallelujah. He wants to feed us. He wants to lead us and guide us because the Bible calls Jesus the good shepherd, the great shepherd, 
and the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd in John chapter 10. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd in Hebrews chapter 13. He's the great, he's called the great shepherd of the sheep. That would be us, right? He's the chief shepherd in 1 Peter chapter 5. That would that means he's over all other shepherds, all pastors and elders and bishops and apostles. Jesus is the he's the he's the BMOC, the big man on campus. He's the chief shepherd. I know you may have a pastor, etc., and he's your shepherd. But Jesus is his shepherd or her shepherd if your pastor is a woman. Jesus is, the Bible calls him the chief shepherd, capital C, capital S, hallelujah, to the Lamb of God. So we want to continue to talk today about Jesus, the great physician, who freely offers us 2020 vision. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you, we bless you. Just for the privilege of mentioning your name, the name of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Lord, we thank you for opening the eyes of our understanding that we may understand and do your good, acceptable, and perfect will. I pray, Lord, that as a result of this teaching and preaching and the result of teaching and preaching all over the world, that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit will be manifested according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. We pray, Lord, that we will speak words that are pleasing in your sight. Help us, Lord, to stay away from error, speculation, our opinions. Help us, Lord, to speak as oracles of God. Help us to speak, Lord, as your mouthpiece. Help us, Lord God. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. Help us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, which is in your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We ask that you save the lost and encourage the saved, encourage the believers, encourage the saints by Jesus Christ, Lord. Blessed be his name forever. Amen and amen. Let's start with um, the same passage we started with on Friday. On Friday evening, we started with Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4. And listen to what Paul the Apostle said to the Corinthian Christians. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, meaning hidden, he says, if our gospel is hidden, it's not because we're not preaching it. He says, if our, this is 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The King James says to those who are lost. I'm reading the NIV here. The King James says, if our gospel is hid, it's hidden, it's hidden to those who are lost. The NIV says, even if our gospel is veiled, our gospel being that good news about Jesus Christ, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the God, lowercase g-o-d, that's Satan. The God of this age, the God of this world, the God of this age, the, the Greek word is cosmos, the God of this age. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Did, did you hear that? He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You see, unbelievers think that they got it made. Oh, I don't have to accept all that old gospel Bible stuff. You know, I, I'm, uh, there's a very popular saying I talked about a few weeks ago, and it's getting a lot of people in a lot of trouble. Uh, people are being encouraged to walk in their truth. Well, boy, that's one of the most dangerous things you can tell a person. Walk in your truth. Walk in your truth. No, that's what got mankind in trouble in the first place. Adam and Eve tried to walk in their truth. 
they didn't walk in the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel was the commandment at that time was the commandment that God gave them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He didn't mean physically because they didn't physically die. They went on and had children after that, Cain and Abel, and even other children who are not mentioned in the Bible. So, so they went on. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. Their spirit died. That's why we had to be born again. Because when their spirit died, our spirit died. So Jesus said, that's why Jesus said, except you be born again, meaning your spirit has to now be born again by the power of God's word, by the power, the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. So when people are being told today, even being told by high-powered celebrities, high-powered you know, politicians and athletes, the people who are mostly looked up to in popular culture, people are being told, honey, walk in your truth. Well, if your truth is not the truth of the gospel, you're going to walk into the, you're going to, you're going to fall off into the abyss. So Paul says, if our gospel is hid, veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, meaning those who are lost. The King James says those who are lost. The God of this age, lowercase g-o-d, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And I'm going to take you to the parable of the sower, hopefully before we end today to further explain what he's saying there. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. See, Satan has his hand over people's eyes so they can't see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the gospel displays the glory of Christ. The Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The word of God, the prophetic word of God, whether it's predictive prophecy or teaching, you know, um, forth telling prophecy, because there's preaching type of prophecy and there's predictive prophecy. But all the, the Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. Let me just say it that way without sound, sounding too academic. Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. Jesus, Old and New Testament. Jesus is in the Old Testament. You just don't see him as Jesus, but he's in the Old Testament as types and shadows. The, the kings in the Old Testament are t and the, the priests in the Old Testament, right? Uh, the prophets in the Old Testament, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus as the perfect fulfillment. Glory to the Lamb of God. They all point to Jesus. So Jesus is in the Old Testament. He's in the tabernacle. He's in the sacrifices. Uh, you have God in the Old Testament. Jesus is God. You have man in the Old Testament. Jesus is the God-man. The Bible calls him in 1 Timothy 2, the man Christ Jesus. You have prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus is the faithful and true witness, the perfect prophet of God. You have priests in the Old Testament. Jesus is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Right? The, the priest goes to God on behalf of the people. Jesus is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. Jesus is that faithful and true witness who came into the world. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was, he was that rejected prophet. He said himself, a prophet is not without honor except among his own people. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So we have God in the Old Testament. Jesus is God. Man in the Old Testament. Jesus is the God-man. 
prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus is the is the faithful and true witness. Priests in the Old Testament. Jesus is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We have kings in the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Jesus is King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. You have the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Jesus is that perfect sacrifice who sacrificed his life, his sinless life at Calvary's cruel cross that we might have a right to the tree of life. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Blessed be his name forever. So Jesus is in the Old Testament. He's in the Old Testament. You just have to look for him. And I realize the Old Testament can be very tedious uh, to read and it can be very difficult even for uh, you know, seminarians and theologians and things, it can be very difficult to read. That's why if you read the Old Testament, I suggest you find a, a certain theme that you're that you want to study and then read that. But to just read the Old Testament by itself can be very tedious. When you get to certain books, especially, can be very difficult. What's the prophet saying? Who's he talking to, etc. So I understand that. But Jesus, he's in the he's, he's Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. He's the Word of God. He is the son of God, uppercase S-O-N. And the Jews understood what that means. That's why when Jesus said he's the son of God, they tried to kill him. They tried to stone him because they knew that when he said he's the son of God, that he was equating, him, he was equating himself with, the, with God. Now, that's why it says in John chapter 5, the Jews took up stones to stone him. Because he said that he is that, that all men must honor the son, even as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Jesus is the son of God. He is the almighty. He is the I am. He said, I am, I am, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection of life. I am that water that if you drink of me, you shall not thirst again. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus is the central theme of all scripture from Genesis through Revelation. Oh, don't get me started on the book of Revelation. <laughs> Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Gee, John said, I saw him. I saw him on the Isle of Patmos. And John, who had been with Jesus for three years in ministry, John, who was at Pentecost and was filled with the Holy Ghost, but yet on the Isle of Patmos, he saw Jesus. He saw the glorified Christ. John, who had been in the Mount of Transfiguration with, with, with Peter and James and saw the glorified Jesus, now he sees the glorified Christ again on the Isle of Patmos. And instead of walking up to him and shaking hands and saying, hey, Jesus, what's up? I haven't seen you in about 60 years. Glory to the Lamb of God. He fell at his feet as though dead. He saw the majestic Christ, not the Christ on the cross, not the Christ being slapped around by the Romans, not the Christ being spit upon by sinners, by the Gentiles. Not the Christ being turned over by Judas Iscariot. Not the Christ being humiliated by sinners. No, he saw the majestic Christ. He saw the risen Christ. He saw the same Jesus we're going to see one day. Hallelujah. The Bible says we don't know what we shall be like, but we do know we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everybody who has that hope in himself purifies himself. Prophecy is supposed to, among other things, purif help to purify us because we, it helps us to have that, that messianic expectation, that expectation that Jesus shall return. And when we have that expectation that he shall return for us, it's supposed to make us want to purify ourselves by holy living more and more and more and more.
So getting back to my original point, <laughs> if our gospel is hid, is healed, is, is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Those unbelievers you work with and live with, they're blinded by Satan. And if you tell them they're blinded by Satan, they'll get mad. They'll say, no, I'm, I'm with Allah, or I'm with the, the Dalai Lama, or I'm with Hare Krishna, or I'm an atheist, or I'm walking in my truth. No, the, the truth is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. I like the way the NIV, sometimes I don't really like reading the NIV because of the wording, even though the NIV supposedly is based on the oldest manuscripts, therefore the best manuscripts of the Bible. But sometimes the wording of the NIV, I guess it's because I'm, I'm so used to King James and New King James. But here, I like the wording of the NIV. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays, I like this, I hadn't seen this before, that displays the glory of Christ. The gospel, I like that. The gospel displays the glory of Christ. That's why Satan fights so hard for the gospel not to be preached, for the gospel not to be spread. He fights so hard against the gospel because he knows that the gospel both re um, reveals and glorifies Jesus, but it also predicts Satan's doom. The gospel predicts his doom. Paul said in Romans 16 that God is going to crush Satan under our feet one day. The, the Bible uses the word shortly, but in, in prophetic uh, scriptures, shortly doesn't necessarily mean in another hour or two hours or even 10 years. It, it normally means that, if, that when it does happen, it will happen of a surety and, and quickly. The, the Greek word is, is where we get the same word uh, for tachometer. The tachometer is that instrument in your car that measures engine speed. So the Greek, it, it comes from that same Greek word. So when God does do it, he's going to do it quickly and of a surety. He shall crush Satan under our feet. Hallelujah. Jesus already accomplished it at the cross. He already defeated the principalities and powers. He already defeated all the principalities and powers, both heavenly uh, on earth and in, and, in, and in the heavenly realm where Satan and his, and his minions are. They're in the heavenly realm. That's why Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. That's where Satan dwells right now. Jesus has already defeated them at the cross, but God is still allowing certain events to transpire. It's kind of like I tell people in a football game. A team might be up 56 to nothing in the third quarter, but the game still has to be played out to the end of the game. Well, Jesus already defeated Satan at the cross, but God's program still has to, um, has to play out, so to speak. There are certain events to have to occur that still have to occur, such as the rapture of the church, the revealing of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, a bunch of prophecies in the Bible that still have to be fulfilled, etc. But Satan has already been defeated at the cross. How do we know? Because when you got saved, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that indicating Satan had been defeated. Because Satan thought Jesus was going to stay in that Palestinian tomb. He was hoping he would, at least, that he would stay in that tomb. And Jesus rose early on that Sunday morning. And he said, I got all power in my hands, not black power 
and certainly not white power. I've got all power in my hands. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Jesus, bodily raised from the dead. Now, let me read that one more time. I'm going to move on. But I like the way the NIV puts it. The Bible says, even if our gospel is veiled, hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The world is perishing. There are about 7 billion people in the world. And most of them are not saved. There are about 7 billion people in the world. And most of them are perishing. That's the truth of it. Because most of them have not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Most Jews have not trusted in Christ. Most Gentiles have not trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel Jesus said I'm the light of the world follow me you won't walk in darkness hallelujah to the Lamb of God they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God nobody has seen the Father at any time but Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God that's one reason he could say to Thomas, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hallelujah. Jesus is the visible manifestation. If you remember, if you go back to Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was about to be stoned, he looked up and saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Jesus is the visible, man, visible manifestation of the invisible God. For the Lord himself, Jesus, he shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of, we're going to see him when he comes back for the church. We will one day see the Father. But right now, uh, no man has seen God. And even Moses could only see his backside. Hallelujah. And you know Moses, great prophet, great lawgiver. He saw his backside. Isaiah saw the glory of God, but he didn't see the Father directly. But he did see the glory, the Shekinah glory of God in, in Isaiah chapter 6 in the year that King Uzziah died. So Paul says here, and then I'll move on. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that display, I just, I just for some reason I like that, that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now no, notice what Paul says right here, it's very important. For, we, for what we preach is not ourselves. You see, if I preach myself, or if another preacher preaches himself or herself, you've detracted from the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You, in other words, you've, 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 you've attempted to rob God of his glory. If I preach myself, if, I'm preach that, if I preach that I'm a savior, that I'm a messiah, that I'm a God, that I'm a prophet who's going to save the world and all that cult, false prophet type stuff that, that, that um, is so prevalent in the world. And I've detracted from the glory of God, right? For what we preach, Paul said, is not ourselves. We don't preach ourselves. Remember, there was a time, um, if you read Acts chapter 28, when Paul and his companions had landed on their way to Rome, they had landed on an island called Malta. <clears throat> and it was cold and rainy, and Paul was building a fire. And he put his hand in the wood pile to get some wood to build the fire and a viper a snake fastened itself to Paul's hand and the people on the island according to Greek belief 
the cultural belief at that time. They believed in vengeance. They said, oh, this man is, must be a, a criminal, a murderer, who, although he has escaped by the sea, vengeance does not allow him to survive. They thought he was going to drop dead and die because the venom, the viper, had fastened itself to Paul's hand. And when they waited for a while for him to swell up and die, and he didn't die, they came to the conclusion that Paul was a god. You see that? But Paul did not allow them to continue in that belief because he did not preach himself. He preached Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We don't preach Jesus Christ as our butler, as our gardener. Remember when he rose from the dead, uh, there was one of the women. I know Mary Magdalene saw him first, so it might have been her. I would have to go back and check. Uh, the woman, uh, and it might have been Mary Magdalene, she thought he was the gardener. When he rose from the dead, she thought he was the gardener. And she said to him, thinking he was the gardener, uh, if you'll tell me where you've taken the body of Jesus, let me know, I'll come and take it away. Because she wanted to further anoint, embalm his body. And then he opened her revelation to, to show that it was he, Jesus. Jesus is not our gardener. He's not, he's not just here to tidy up the weeds, cut a few weeds in our lives. Paul said we preach him as Lord, as, as Kyrios, as Lord. He is Lord of all. He is our Lord. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus, not as gardener, hallelujah. Not if you will confess with your mouth that he's the butler. Glory. See, some of us want Jesus to be our butler. Go, go do this. Go do that. You know, we've got these little confession or faith formulas, and we believe that because we make these little, quote these formulas, that God has to, you know, hop and do what we tell him. Like he's lurch on the Adams family or something like that, right? No, he's not our butler. He's not our gardener. He's Lord. He's curious. He, the Bible calls him the blessed and only potentate. He's the one who wields absolute power. He's Lord. We preach not ourselves. We preach, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants. Paul says, we preach ourselves as your servants, but not as your Lord. Paul had great, and, and uh, his companions, many of them, had great apostolic power and authority. They had great, they had, they had the they had the power that Jesus gave them. Jesus said to the apostles, whoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whoever sins you retain, they are retained. The apostles had the authority in the church given, to, given by the Lord Jesus Christ to retain people's sins and to remit people's sins. Only God can forgive sin, but he had given that apostolic authority to his apostles. So the apostles had great authority. They had authority to cast out devils, raise the dead, heal the sick. Uh, uh, open the eyes of the blind, all these uh, gift of prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. Uh, uh, they had these gifts. They had great apostolic authority. But notice what Paul says, but we preach ourselves your servants. How, hallelujah. Imagine having that apostolic authority and yet being willing to serve the people, not, not being exalted and, you know, having a bad case, as I like to say, a bad case of the big head, which is what got Lucifer in trouble, who uh, who's now known as Satan, 
He got a bad case of the big head. He, he said, I'll be like the most high. I will, throne, I will ascend to the throne of God. I will be like the most high. And God drop kicked him out of heaven, right? Notice what Paul said, and then I'll move on. But what we preach is not ourselves. Now, it was very important when he said that because there were many people, just as there are today, there were many people then who were preaching themselves. And there are people today who preach themselves. Come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. I'll lead you to the promised land. I am the Messiah. Jesus said himself, many false prophets shall arise and they shall deceive many. You hear that? Many false prophets shall arise. Watch this. And they shall deceive many. That's why it's important for you to be in God's word. So you can, you, you shouldn't just take my word for what I'm saying. I, I, obviously, I want you to believe what I'm saying. But don't just take my word for it or reverend so-and-so's word or bishop so-and-so's word or apostle so-and-so's word. But be like those Berean Christians in Acts 17, 11. Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Don't just take my word for it. Don't do that. I, I know I'm honest. I'm no, I know that I'm not uh, after you or your money or whatever. I know that. But you still need to search God's word so you can have that personal relationship with him. Because don't ever depend on another person because that person may be taken off the scene at any moment. I could be gone tomorrow into eternity. You need to have that personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I preach myself as your servant, but I have to preach Jesus as your Lord. That's what Paul is saying. Because remember, Paul and Peter left the scene in around 67 AD. They were both murdered at, under, under Emperor Nero. So they were gone. John was gone around 95 to 100 AD. So around, around 100 AD, all the original apostles were gone. But Jesus is still here. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. One more time. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Oh, and ourselves, your servants. We got all this apostolic authority. But we're your servants. Jesus is your Lord. That's powerful. That's powerful. Even Jesus, he left the example. Remember, he, he, um, he, before he was crucified, he washed his disciples' feet, which was the job of a slave. And in those days, they didn't have interstate this and highway that. The roads were dusty and dirty. Crude at best. I know the Romans had an advanced um, 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 highway system. But the roads of Palestine were crude, dusty, and dirty at best. And so it was a, it was a, uh, it was a job of a slave when his owner or her owner came or had guests, the job of the slave was to wash the feet. One of the jobs was to wash the feet of, of those in superior position. And here we had our Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah to the Lamb of God, in John 13. He, he girded himself with a towel, etc., in a basin of water. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord God himself, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. The only wise potentate, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Hallelujah. The root and the offspring of David. Before Abraham was, he was. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Here we had him. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. Here we had him gird himself with a towel, 
prepare himself with a towel and a basin of water. And he leaned, he kneeled down and washed his disciples' feet. And he said, if I've done that for you, you ought to do it for one another. Now, there he wasn't putting forth a doctrine of washing of feet, as some suppose even today. But he was saying was, if I, your Lord and your Master, your Lord and Savior, if I have kneeled down and washed your feet, don't you dare, he was saying to his apostles here, don't you dare get a big head just because you're wearing a title of apostle. Don't you dare get a big head and think that you're, because you've got some apostolic authority and some gifts of the Holy Spirit, don't you dare get a, a bad case of the big head. Don't you dare think you can't serve. If I, your Lord and Savior, see, he, he never denied being Lord, God, and Savior. He said, if I, your Lord, you call me Lord and you say rightly, for so I am, he said. If I, your Lord and Savior, have washed your dirty, nasty, dirt-infested feet, if I took on the role of a, a doulos, a servant, a slave, don't you dare, he was saying, because he knew he was going to the cross he knew um he, he knew already there were there were his disciples were you know they were struggling to to see who was going to be the BMOC the big man on campus even James and John's mother had come to Jesus and said uh, I want my boys you know to be up front I want them to have the best seats in the pulpit so to speak so Jesus knew that there would be power struggles because he was dealing with human beings but he said if I've washed your feet and I'm your Lord and Savior. I'm your God. Don't you dare get a bad case of the big head. You've got to serve one another. Otherwise, you will not represent what my church is. My church is, is about power, but it's also about uh, servanthood. Uh, my church, yes, is about spiritual power, right? The Bible says in Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So, yes. The church is about power. We, 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 we shouldn't deny that. The church is about power. But it's about spiritual power. It's not, it's not about lording it over God's people. The Bible says there, when Peter is giving a charge to the elders in, in 1 Peter 5, which is the same passage where he called Jesus the chief shepherd, he said, don't lord it over God's people because they're not your people. They're God's people. Don't lord it over them. Don't act like you own them. Don't act like you're you know, so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Don't act like people can't touch you or you'll lose your anointing and all this crazy stuff that we even hear about today. The higher you go in power and authority, Jesus is saying, the lower you got to go in being a servant. Now that, that takes a, a totally consecrated person to do that. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Then he says in verse 6, and this he's going to go back to Genesis here. Remember Genesis? In Genesis, God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and uh, was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. There was chaos. And there, there, there are some theories about why that chaos existed that we can't go into right now. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
So out of that darkness and chaos, God said, let there be light. See, God is God God speaks things in the creation. That's why that's why the Bible says God calls those things that are not as though they were. We don't have that authority to do that. Only God has that authority to call those things that are not as though they were, because God is the creator. So the so what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, he's saying, just as God commanded the light to shine out of darkness back in Genesis. He made his light shine in our hearts. That's how you got saved. You got saved because God, because of his love for you and for me, he commanded the light of the gospel of his dear son Jesus to shine in our hearts. That's how we got saved. I know you may have gone up and shaken the reverend, the reverend's hand and pastor's hand. And I, I get that. I understand that. But you didn't get saved by doing that. You got saved. You got born again, if you will. Because God's mercy and love, his grace, right? Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. He's, he, he, he commanded the light of the gospel of his dear son, Jesus, to shine in your heart. And because he commanded that gospel to shine in your heart, because he commanded that truth, not your truth. See, you were walking in your truth. That's what got you in the trouble. That's what got me in the trouble. Because we were walking in our truth, thinking we were, you know, big, bad, and almighty. We were walking in our truth on the way to hell. And God had mercy upon us because of his tenderness and love toward us. Uh, um, Ephesians 2 and 4. Let me read Ephesians to you, and I'm going to get back to this Corinthian passage. But let me read Ephesians to you, which is going to tie in directly let me read Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Listen to Ephesians. This is, the, this is the King James. Ephesians 2. You hath he quickened. Hallelujah. You, you were dead. I was dead. Remember I said because of Adam and Eve, because of Romans 5 and 12, we were dead in trespasses and sins. You hath he quickened. You were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in sin. I know we looked good, but we were dead in sin. Where in time past, Paul said, you walked according to the course of this world. Before you got saved, you were worldly. Whatever the world did, you did. Because you were unsaved, because I was unsaved, we were lost. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that even now worketh in the children of disobedience. You hear that? We were all walking, walking in that at one time. But listen to what he says in the next verse, in verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation. Here, conversation in the King James Version means lifestyle. We all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We wanted to do it, we did it. We had desires of the flesh, we did it. We had desires of the mind, no matter how perverted, we did it. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We, we were naughty by nature. We were born in sin. We were shaped in iniquity. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 4 is the one I really wanted to get to. But God, who is rich in mercy, hallelujah, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, 
wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us together with Christ. We were dead in sins. He quickened us. He made us alive. He commanded the light to shine in our hearts, just like he did back in Genesis. He said, let there be light. He didn't ask. He didn't have to ask anybody's opinion. He didn't have to have a, a board of directors meeting. He didn't have to have a denominational edict. God, because he's sovereign, he said, let there be light. And there was light. And that light, I am sure, was the logos of God, was the second person in the Trinity. The person we know today is Jesus. God said, let there be light. Because the Bible says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him. And without him, there was not anything created that was created. So I am convinced that when God said, let there be light and there was light, that light was the logos of God, the second person of the Trinity who eventually became flesh and took on the name as commanded by the angel of the Lord, took on the name Jesus which means Jehovah is salvation. Hallelujah. Let me finish reading the Ephesians passage, and I'll jump back to the Corinthians passage. But, for God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, he has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you're saved, you're sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. Positionally, you may not feel like it. I don't feel like it right now. I got certain body aches, etc., and certain personal issues I'm dealing with. I don't feel like I'm sitting in heavenly places, but positionally I am. And because the word of God says I am, I have to believe it because the word of God cannot lie. So positionally, we're seated in heavenly places with Jesus. One day, we will experientially, we will be actually sitting with him. He said it in Revelation, if you overcome, you'll sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. So one day, we will not just positionally, but we will experientially be seated with Jesus in the, heaven, in, in, in the heavenlies, in the heavenly place. All right. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Paul said that 2,000 years ago. He said that in the ages to come, that, that in other words, people in the future are going to see what Jesus Christ, how his mercy, how we are like the first fruits of his mercy. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Then he says in the famous Ephesians 2.8 passage, he says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You cannot pat yourself on the back concerning your salvation. Neither can I. He says, You cannot pat yourself on the back concerning your salvation. For by grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a, it's, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if you worked for your salvation, you could boast about it. It's like your job. You work your job, you say, I want my paycheck. You're boasting. I worked 40 hours or whatever this week. That paycheck needs to be directly deposited into my checking account. You're boasting because you did something to earn that paycheck. And rightfully so. You're saying, I worked 40 hours or 50 hours or 32 hours or whatever. 
where's my money? <laughs> right? Concerning our salvation, we can boast of nothing. God's riches at Christ's expense. For by grace you are saved through faith. He says, and that not of yourselves. Even, even, even everything that pertains to our salvation, even the faith itself, is a work of God. Not of us. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Because God knows how prone we are to boasting. Because he knows, he knows who we are. He knows how we are. He knows what we are. He knows that we have a tendency to boast. Right? Our favorite football team, our favorite sports team, who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. We have a tendency to boast. There are many examples in the Bible of men and kings and queens and, 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 and people boasting of their exploits. God says, I know y'all, your salvation. Even Abraham could not boast of his relationship with God. He couldn't boast. He was justified by faith. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted, imputed, reckoned unto him for righteousness. So we, have, we cannot boast of our salvation. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith for the purpose of doing good works that glorify God in Christ. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. You see that? God has before ordained that we should walk in those good works. Now back to the Corinthian passage. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Hallelujah. That same light that God said eons ago, we don't know when it happened, could have been 10 trillion years ago, we don't know. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Paul says, same, same deal. For God who said, you hear that? He spoke it, the logos, let there be light. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. See that? He made his light shine in our hearts. That's why I'm saved. That's why you're saved. He made his light shine in our hearts. Listen to this. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Then he goes on, kind of like the Ephesians passage, to show that we cannot boast. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. The King James says, earthen vessels. Meaning God has invested all of this in earthen vessels. That will be us. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's why we can't get a big head. Woe unto the person who gets a big head. Woe unto the preacher who gets a big head. Woe unto the pastor, the elder, the bishop, the apostle, the deacon, the mother, the saint who gets a big head. Jesus said, if you exalt yourself, now nah, I'm on. I'm going to have to kick you down there a little bit. <laughs> he said, if you exalt yourself, I'm going to humble you. And it may not be pretty, but he'll do it in love and concern. Out of love and concern for our eternal uh, well-being. He says, but if you humble yourself, hallelujah to the Lamb of God, I will exalt you. Just like Jesus, the Bible says, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He knew he was God, but he didn't try to use it to his advantage. But he made himself of no reputation. 
and took upon himself the form of a servant, of a slave, of a doulos, and he was made in the likeness of men. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So Jesus is our supreme example. Wherefore, and, and, um, and, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hallelujah. Even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. Not any death. Even the death of the cross invented by the Phoenicians and the Persians, but perfected by the Romans. The cross. Brutal. So brutal, the Romans didn't even subject their own citizens to it. The cross. Jesus put on the cross for our sins. Hung between heaven and earth as though he were fit for neither. The cross for our salvation, for our eternal redemption. Jesus, the, the lovely glory of God, the perfection of beauty, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. Jesus, here he is on the cross between two thieves, being reviled by these thieves, being reviled, cussed, tormented verbally by the people, saying, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself. And then we'll believe. And they were lying. They would not believe because they already had all this other time to believe when he was walking among them for three years. And he himself even said, you haven't believed Moses and the prophets who spoke of me. Now, you want me to come down from the cross to satisfy your lust so you can uh, beat me and torment me even more? No, I'm going to stay on this cross. For as much as I despise and detest it, I'm going to stay on this cross for your eternal redemption. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, says, um, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's strictly by the Lord. It's not by us, my beloved. Jesus, the great physician, who freely offers us 2020 vision. Have you trusted in him for your salvation? You don't have to be blind. The, the world, 7 billion people, most of them are headed into the abyss. Most of the world would not be saved. Or only a remnant will be saved. Most of the world would not be saved. Jesus himself said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And most people, he said, take that way. He said, relatively few people take the narrow way, which is to follow me, Jesus said. Let us pray. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, blessed be your name forever and ever. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to mention your blessed name in the name of your holy son, Jesus. I pray that I spoke truth to your people. I pray that I encouraged them to walk in your truth, Lord not their truth. I pray that as a result of this teaching and preaching and teaching all over the world that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit will be manifested according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Blessed be your name forever. Bless your people. Bless them in every way possible, Lord, spiritually, materially, Lord. Bless them with what they need, Lord, and many of the things that they want that glorify you. Bless them, Lord, financially, relationally, spiritually, physically. Most of all, Lord, bless their relationship with you. If they're broke, Bless them to have a relationship with you. If they're wealthy, bless them to have a relationship with you. 
Bless them, Lord. Bless them, bless them, not because they deserve it, not because we deserve it, but because of your riches at Christ's expense. Blessed be your name forever. Blessed be your name forever. Blessed be your name forever. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen and amen. God bless you, my beloved. I'm going to come to you again uh, this Friday. And uh, I'll probably continue on this same subject. Jesus, the great physician who freely offers us 2020 vision. There are a few more things I would like to say. And if the Lord allows me to do so, I would do so. This Friday at 8 p.m. And then on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. My beloved, God bless you. You take care. You, you, you get closer to the Lord. And you, 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 you get in that word and you stay in there. You stay in there and you stay in there and you stay in there. And if you have any questions or comments, you, you contact us at jcolm57, the number 57, at gmail.com. jcolm, the number 57, at gmail.com. Or you text us or call us at 706-248-7053. We're not asking you for any money, but we ask that you bathe us in prayer. Bathe us in prayer. If you uh, would like to um, have me for a speaking engagement, um, if, as long as it's okay with your pastor, etc. If you would like to have me for a speaking engagement, you contact me at those same uh, addresses. J-C-O-L-M, the number 57 at Gmail. Dot com or 706-248-7053. I'm Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. of Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship. And the name of our program is The Truth of the Gospel. You go with God, you walk with Jesus. Don't you be ashamed of the gospel. Don't you be ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew and to the Gentile. God bless you, my beloved. Lord willing, we'll see each other again. We'll hear from each other again on Friday. What is that? Friday would be what? The 10th of January. So we'll come to you on the 10th and the 12th of January, 2020. Hallelujah. You can have 2020 vision if you follow Jesus. For he said, I'm the light of the world. Follow me and you would not walk in darkness. I'm a witness. And so are you. God bless you, my beloved. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye.